We're going to jump into the words of Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 33 is where we will begin today. John 16, verse 33. Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you that in me, everyone say in him, in him. He's about to contrast two worlds in which we live in. One is in Christ. He said, in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus starts us off this morning contrasting kind of two places that we can live in. We can either live in him, in Christ, or we can live in this world. But he wants to let you know that, hey, you're going to have some tribulation in this world. However, however, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What in the world is he talking about? When he says, I've overcome the world, what has he overcome? Well, we got to lay a little foundation this morning, okay, before we can kind of get too far into this series. Let's lay a little foundation, and let's talk about what the Bible means when it uses this term, the world. What is it referring to? Because it can refer to several different things. Number one, the world can be talking about the earth. This, this, this thing that we live on. Um, we, we can enjoy the earth. How many enjoy the earth? You, you get out and you just see the beauty of creation. You enjoy the earth. Uh, we are to work the, the earth. We're to harvest from it. And we are to tend to it. So sometimes when the Bible uses the word world, it's talking about this, this earth that we live on. Number two, uh, people. <laughs> so, sometimes when the Bible talks about the world it's talking about the people of the world John 3 verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for them right and what's that talking about it's talking about Jesus died for the people of the world so we kind of have the earth (laughs) we kind of have the 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 people but number three is where we're really going to focus on in this series and it's the word cosmos and when, when Jesus is talking about having tribulation, that's the word he's using, cosmos. It means the systems of this world, the systems of this world. I don't know if you understand it or not, but this world that we live in has some systems that are running it. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 says that Satan is actually the God, little g, of this world system. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes that you and I don't don't always see. I don't know if you've ever started a new job or not. And, and you go in and you start the job and you meet Phil and you meet Ron and you meet Debbie and they're your co-workers and, and, and then you meet Mark and, and Mark's your boss and you meet Carol and, and Carol's the boss's wife. And, and it, at face value, you're, hey, nice to meet you. You know, I'm excited to work here. I'm excited to add value here. But very, very soon that you'll realize there is a a culture in that new workplace and until you learn to operate in that culture you're probably going to have a a hard time like you might really think that mark is the boss but but what you didn't know is that carol mark's wife is the real boss come on anyone ever had to adjust to a work culture you, you, you saw something at face value but underneath there there was a current that was actually running the work 
place? Well, John Eldridge defines the world that way, and, and he says the cosmos is the collective momentum of life without God. It's the collective momentum of, of life attempted without God. You see, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, mankind has tried to prove that we don't need God. The world thinks we can govern this nation without God. The world thinks we can educate our children without God. The world thinks we can handle our money without God. The world thinks we can legislate morality without God. But all we have to do is be honest with ourselves for about five seconds. <laughs> and we'll see that we're failing miserably. Can somebody say amen? Like, how is it working for us leaning on our own understanding? How is it working for us saying, God, we got this. We don't really need you. Any honest person would look at, quote, the world and would have to admit we're not doing very well. Our pursuit of happiness minus our creator is failing very quickly. You see, the systems of this world, they promise so much but they deliver so very little. And here's my concern as a pastor. Many Christians are being discipled by the world system and we don't even realize it. I'm going to say that again. Many Christians, followers of Jesus, are being discipled by the world system and we don't even realize it. So this series is going to be one that challenges us in a lot of ways. It's going to require some critical thinking, and it's going to call us to spiritual maturity. If you're ready to meet the challenge, say, I'm ready. Come on, say it again. Say, I'm ready. See, because friends, you and I, we're not living in normal times. The days of casual Christianity are over, and God is calling us to follow him with our whole hearts. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. If you're ready to meet the challenge this morning, say, I'm ready. Come on, if you're joining us online, just type in the chat this morning. Say, I'm ready. If you're on YouTube, just type in the chat, I'm ready. We're going to go back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And we're going to use a case study of a man named Lot and his family. Lot is the nephew of Abraham, who is the father of our faith. And when Abraham got, uh, uh, was called by God to leave his family and, and go looking for this new land that he had for him, Abraham decided to take his nephew Lot and his family along with him. Now, eventually, like every family, there was strife between them, and there needed to be boundaries set. Aren't you glad that your family is not the only one that needs some good boundaries? Right? Anytime there's not good boundaries, it's very predictable in a family, there's going to be strife. And there was strife. And so Abraham looked at Lot and he said, he said Lot, we're, free, we're, we're family. There's, there's no need fussing and fighting all the time. He said, we need to separate a little bit. Like they were sharing a duplex. How many know that ain't going to last long? Right? And he's like, you know what, Lot, you need your own place. <laughs> It's really a lot. It's, it's, you need to go, okay? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you choose 
the best land. You can choose whatever land you want to make a new home for you and your family and your cows and your sheep and your goats and your dogs and your lizards and your goldfish. Lot, you, you guys need to pack it all up and you need to go and you can take your pick. And so Lot looks around and he finds a land that he thinks is prosperous and the Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now Sodom was the most wicked place that we know of on earth during this time. Yet this righteous man, that's what the Bible calls him, chose to move his family to Sodom. Sodom today is going to create a very vivid picture of the world system for us. They were a people and a place that desired to do life without God, and the results were disastrous. Sexual immorality was everywhere. Violence filled the streets. Sin was no longer shameful. In fact, it was actually celebrated. Does that sound familiar to anyone today? This city is so wicked that the cries of people were praying against the wickedness there. People were crying out. They were being beaten. They were being murdered. They were being abused. And they're crying out to God for justice. And because God is a God of justice, eventually he says, I've got to do something about this city. I'm going to have to destroy it. But before God decided to destroy it, he talked to Abraham because Abraham was the friend of God. And Abraham negotiated with God and pled with God. And he said, Lord, don't destroy Sodom. He said, because my nephew Lot lives there. And after this lengthy negotiation, God says, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to send two angels, and they're going to rescue Lot and his family. They're going to get him out safely, and then I'm going to destroy Sodom. Look at Genesis 19 and verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now again, the, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. That means he's got a relationship with God. He knows the ways of the Lord, but he has chosen to embrace the ways of the world. He knows that he's living in a horrible place. He knows it's not safe for these two angel men. They're angels, but they're, they're in the form of men. He knows it's not even safe for them to spend the night outside. So he, he insists that they, they come and, and stay with him. And they concede. But look at verse 4. Watch what happens. It says, now before they lay down, before they go to bed, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now, we've got a mixed audience today, and I'm not going to go into detail, but the picture is there is this mob surrounding the house, and they want to abuse these men who, again, they don't know that they're angels. They just think that they're men. 
And, and what's amazing to me is, is that everyone in the mob thinks it's okay. The, the, the Bible says the old guys, they, they thought it was a good idea. The young men, they thought it was a good idea. And in fact, it says people from, from all around the town, every quarter came and thought it was perfectly okay to surround the house, drag the men out of the house, and abuse them in the street. Sodom is being ruled by mobs. This is how the world system works. The mobs rule by fear, anger, and intimidation. And we see this happening in our own nation today. Mob rule. And if you say anything against the mob, they will shut you down. They'll shut your business down. They will slander your name. They will come after you. Oh, I'm preaching good. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, and he shut the door behind him because Lot thinks you can negotiate with the mob, but you can't. Verse 7, and said, please, my brethren... What? Huh? My brethren? These people don't know God. They're not followers, they're not followers of Jehovah. They're, they're evil. They're, they're, they're surrounding his house to, to bring these men of God, these angels, out and abuse them. And, and, and Lot thinks he can negotiate with them. Lot thinks he can appeal to their, uh, their holy nature. Problem is, they don't have one. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. You see, he thinks he can, he can appeal to their conscience, but the problem is, is their conscience has been seared, and they no longer have a sense of right and wrong. Now, the next verse is probably the saddest one we'll look at today, and this verse does not highlight the evil that's in the heart of these men. I'm going to say this again. This verse is the saddest one we're going to read today. But it does not actually highlight the evil that's in the mob. It shows us what happens to the heart of a follower of God when he immerses himself in the culture of the world. What, what's Lot doing? He's pleading with them. Don't take these men outside and abuse them. And instead, he offers an alternative. Verse 8. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. Lot says the unthinkable. But this is what happens when godly people immerse themselves in the culture of the world. They become deceived. No longer can they see black and white. Everything becomes a shade of gray. 
Lot knows God. He knows what this mob wants to do is wrong. Yet because he's become a friend of the world, he has lost his ability to discern right from wrong, good from evil. And over the past 20 years, I've watched this happen to the church in America in our pursuit of wanting to be popular and relevant to culture. We've compromised the word of God. We've abandoned holiness. We've walked away from righteousness. And we formed a friendship with the world. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have to get uncomfortable, we have to get comfortable with being unpopular. We've got to be okay with not being cool. Jesus was not cool. Pastor, I think he's real cool. He's my homeboy. No, he's not. He's not cool. He was holy. He was righteous. He got in the faces of people. He challenged sinners. He challenged the status quo. He challenged the religious community. They hate him so much that they they chanted crucify him. And at 33 years of age, they nailed him to an old rugged cross. That's not cool. And the church has got to get away from this Instagram mentality where we are bending over backwards, losing our convictions, running away from holiness just so someone will like us. The world is not supposed to like us. Jesus actually said they would hate us. That's what he said. Not not, not my words. His Words, as followers of Jesus, we've got to get comfortable with being unpopular. The call to follow Jesus is one that requires sacrifice. It's one that requires us to lay down our need for popularity. We're living in a day where the church is not always going to be cool. They're not always going to talk highly of us, and we've got to get okay with that. Lot pleads with the mob, and look at what they say. Look at verse 9. They said, stand back. And they said, this one, talking about Lot, came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. Oh, I hope we can see this this morning. When we choose to live by the world system, the world won't be satisfied until what's on the outside of us gets on the inside of us. There's no negotiation with the world. It's their way or no way. And Lot is there trying to hold them back, and and they're going to tear the door off the place. You know what the world wants to do? The world wants to change our hearts. It wants to change the way we think. It wants to define our values. It wants us to compromise our, uh, our convictions. Look at what the world said. Look at what these guys, the mob, said about Lot. They said, this one came to stay here. Even the people of the world knew that Lot and his family did not belong there. They knew he was an outsider. They knew he didn't belong there. And then this is what else they said. He keeps acting like a judge. Is it, if there's a cry of the world today, what is it? Don't judge me. How dare you judge me? And listen, 
I, I don't believe that the, the church needs to be walking around sticking our bony fingers or our chubby fingers in other people's faces. Come on, somebody. I don't think we need to be condemning. I don't think we need to be hateful. I don't think we need to be mean. But we do need to have some standards where we stand for righteousness. And if something is wrong, we say it's wrong. If it's sin, it's sin. If it's unholy, it's unholy. We need to raise up some standards because our world wouldn't be in such a place as it is right now if someone would have been holding up some truth, if someone would have been salt, if someone would have been light instead of cowering in darkness, afraid of being unpopular, afraid of being uncool, afraid of some persecution. He keeps acting as our judge. Anytime a person tries to talk about absolutes or biblical standards, the cry from the world is, how dare you judge me? No one has the right to judge me. Verse 10, but the men, the angels, reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Do you, do you see the wickedness in the heart of this mob. They're struck with blindness and, and they don't run back to their homes. They're still trying to find the door. What's within them can never be satisfied. Then the man, verse 12, the angel man said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, get up, get up. isn't it funny? Sons-in-laws are in bed. All right, never mind, I'll move on, I'll move on, I'll move on. Probably in the basement, been up playing video games. All right, all right, I'm gonna move on. I'm going to move. <laughs> he says, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Joking. Can you imagine two angels come to your house? A mob the night before has just been trying to tear your door down, surrounding your house. These men of God warn you, you need to get out of here. God's about to destroy this place. And they said, oh, you crazy Christians. You guys, are, you're nuts. You're, you're conspiracy theories. You're, nah. God's not going to destroy this place. They thought they were joking. How many people today mock what we believe or what we should believe. <laughs> How many people say we're crazy? When you, when you try to warn somebody, hey, that's going to hurt you. What, what you're doing right there, if you go down that road long enough, it's going to hurt you. The only reason I'm telling you that is not because I think I'm better than you. It's not because I'm trying to be your judge. I can, I can just see from the Word of God that if you keep pursuing that life, it's going to bring destruction. And they look at you and they go, ah, you crazy, judgmental Christian. Verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And look at verse 16. And while he lingered, what? <laughs> like, why would he linger? 
Lot's living in a very bad place. They just threatened. They, they tried to drag him out of the house and do horrible things to him. He's been warned by angels that destruction is coming, and yet he lingers. Friends, this is why God calls the world system, the cosmos, our enemy. Because it's so persuasive, it's so deceiving, it's so enticing to our flesh that, that even though we can see the warning signs, we keep allowing that wave to take us by its current. And wherever the world wants to go, we just go with it. I, I was talking to a Christian brother this week. He doesn't go to this church. He goes to another one. But we're talking, and I said, you know, I'm really trying hard not to sound like an angry old man nowadays when I look at culture. And he said, yeah, me too. And here, here's why it's so hard when we look at the world, because 30 to 40 years ago, preachers were warning us what would happen if we turned our backs on God and became friends with the world. Many of us grew up in churches where, where, where a preacher would, would take that microphone and, and he'd spit and he'd sputter and he'd cry and he'd plead and, and he'd say, church, you know, don't go after the world. Don't be friends with the world. And, and many people mocked them. They called them old-fashioned. The world called them fear mongers. The world called them fears the, or, or, or fools. The world called them uh, conspiracy theorists. But here we are 30 to, 40 years later, 30 to 40 years later, and all the things that the preacher said would happen have happened. <laughs> and it's like we've hit a fast-forward button. The world has gone crazy, and many Christians have fallen in love with its craziness. The world is ruled by fear. And we've become ruled by fear. The world is ruled by lust, and we've become ruled by lust. The world is ruled by the mob, and we've allowed the voice of the mob to be louder than the voice of our God. The world is ruled by greed, and we've allowed ourselves to be ruled by greed. The world is raising confused children, and we've allowed them to disciple ours. Listen, this earth is a beautiful place and there are many beautiful people on this planet. But the world system is demonically inspired. And instead of cowering in fear to that huge wave trying to take us downstream, it's time for some men and women to plant our feet on the rock, square up our shoulders and say, enough is enough. The world can't have me. It can't have my marriage. It can't have my kids. It can't have my grandkids. As for me and my house, we're still going to serve the Lord I don't care if the world hates me I'm loved by almighty God look at verse 16 again and while he lingered the men took hold of his hand his wife's hands do you see the mercy of God in action here these angels didn't have to be there. God didn't have to send them. They didn't have to plead with them. They didn't have to stay all night. They didn't have to grab them by the hand. Some people would say, wow, God is so evil. He's so mean. He's so nasty that he's going to destroy. No, if you believe in justice, God has to do something. If you believe in justice, people are being murdered. They're being raped. They're being abused in the street. If you believe in justice at all, the just God of heaven has to intervene. But he's gone so far that he's willing to send angels 
to plead with Lot and his family. And finally, while they're lingering, the angels just grab them by the hand and they lead them outside of the city. That's the mercy of God. And I, I want to tell someone something today. Just as those angels reached out their hands to Lot and his family, the hands of Jesus Christ were stretched out. They were reached out on an old rugged cross to die for my sin and your sin. And if you've never accepted him, I'm here to tell you today, at the risk of sounding old-fashioned, at the risk of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, here's what the Bible teaches me about the world. This world is passing away. It's crumbling. It's not built to last forever, nor can it. I'm talking about the world system. I'm not trying to scare anyone today, but I'm here to warn you today that there's going to be some changes that take place, and they're not going to be pleasant. And you need to make sure that your house, your life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and not on the shifting sands of this world. I want to talk to the Christians for just a moment. Many in the church are living like Lot. We've fallen in love with this world. We're being discipled by the news media, discipled by Hollywood, discipled by politicians, discipled by entertainers, and we've become so spiritually dull that we cannot even discern error from truth anymore. It's time for us to give up our friendship with the world. It's time for us to give up our need to be popular, and it's time for us to pursue the holiness of God. Eventually, the judgment of God will come on this world. And I want every one of us to be ready. This week, I want us to think about a few things. Like, who has the most influence in your life? Like when you're looking at the current affairs, the trending topics on Twitter, whatever. When you're thinking about things like human sexuality, and marriage, and parenting, and money, and politics, when, when you think about current affairs, who, honestly, who is the most influential person in your life? What is the most powerful voice in your life? And then I'll ask you, do they know God? Do they know God? Because if they don't, <laughs> they're not influencing you for righteousness. When you read the news headlines, what's your first thought? Is your first thought, what does Scripture say about this? That's what it should be. Or is it, well, I don't really know what I think about this, so I'm going to wait until the news tonight, and they'll tell me what to think about it. I'm going to wait until I turn on talk radio, and they'll tell me what to think about it. Who? who, What? What are the things, who are the people forming 
our worldview? Who is discipling us? The easy answer is, oh, it's the word of God. Is that the right answer? Is that the correct answer? Are we allowing this wave this collective momentum of, hey, God, we don't really need you. We're really, really smart humans. We have a lot of money, and we can do this on our own. Are we allowing that wave to just take us wherever it wants to go? Will you stand with me today? John 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I know it's a bit heavy here today, but it's supposed to be. It's the Word of God, and it needs to land... (laughs) on us and weigh on us and cause us to reflect and think and pray about who is most important in our lives. Is it being popular? Is it likes on Instagram? Is it people? Is it the mob? Is it the culture? Who who is most important in our lives? I pray over these next couple of weeks We're going to look at some negative examples. Like we looked at Lot and his family. They didn't do a great job. Okay, they did not do a great job. We're going to look at some positive examples. People like Daniel who did an awesome job living in a a world system that was anti-God and anti-Christ. But I pray over these next few weeks, we are going to be equipped to follow the example of our Savior. They said, yeah, in this world, there's going to be some tribulations, but we too shall overcome. Can you say amen this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. Lord, in a world that says there is none, you provide it. You already did. 66 books of it. Love letters to not only your church, but to the beautiful people on this beautiful planet. Father, I I know today that many of us have been lured into friendship with the world. And God, today we need to wake up. We need to hear the call to repentance, hear the call to serve you with our whole hearts. Father, for me, for our church, for the Christians listening or in this room, would you renew our minds through this series? And would you break out of us this need to be popular? And would you put in us a holy boldness that removes every ounce of fear from our lives? Set your church free from fear and intimidation, God. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, for any of those who are listening who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Lord, today I pray that you'd captivate their hearts, that that you, Lord, would let them know that, that, 
that you're that same God that, that went to rescue Lot and his family. You're the same God who sent your son to die for the world on that, that old rugged cross, God. You're, you're here today reaching for their hearts. You want to you bring them into your family. You want to bring them out of harm and into safety. You want to redeem them and renew them. You want to make them born again. Give them a brand new start. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, today He is available. He would love more than anything that you would come into His family.